Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. This one good? All right, I'll just use that. During the week, I work as a graphic designer. Um, I've always been involved in visual arts, always been interested in that, and always been fascinated in the way that God has wired our mind to come up with, to be able to process uh, abstract elements and convert them into familiar concepts and uh, into greater things. When you're driving down the road and you see red backgrounds with a little bit of yellow on it, you get a little bit hungry. You don't even have to know why because you already know that your mind associates certain things with memories. And those memories are converted into thought processes. The mind is the most powerful computer that there is. And God has figured out ways to make us understand certain things non-verbally. I learned two things uh, when I was going to school in my sociology class. One was that you shouldn't skip class unless you have like a spinal injury or something. The second was that, and the more important one, was that something like 65% of communication is nonverbal. Um, you know, we're told all the time to watch our tone, watch our tone, um, but that can be a positive thing as well. And a lot of the time, especially for younger people, um, Communication kind of operates on a couple different channels. Um, for some of us that have more visual minds, sometimes we need a little bit of a Kickstarter, some kind of symbol to get our mind going and get us to focus on something higher. Throughout the Bible, even at the very beginning, we see this concept of symbolism and of using some kind of uh, symbol, some kind of representation of a higher concept. From the beginning, we're told that man was made in God's image to represent him and to be like him. Just a few verses down at the beginning of Genesis, we're told that God saw that and he said it was very good. He was very happy with the way that we represented him. A couple chapters later, the flood is one of the biggest allegories that we have, one of the biggest symbols of judgment, of punishment, of cleansing, of redemption, and of creating something new and something more pure for us to live in. A couple chapters later in Genesis 14, we're given a symbol named Melchizedek who shows what's to come of the high priesthood and the nobility of God, even in Hebrews, way later after the church has been established. We're still hearing about Melchizedek and the way that he represents things that we should be striving for. Sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites lived in a world where they couldn't have the same link with our Father that we do. We're able to have a more perfect worship than they did, 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but they didn't have that back then. So even going back to Cain and Abel, in the, you know, just after the garden, they had these sacrifices to represent the process of redemption and the process of being saved through something being lost. And that keeps on going all through, you know, when they build the temple and the tabernacle and they have this frame of mind that they have to get in and all these processes to show this cleansing. Skip ahead to the New Testament and this framework has been set, but some people just can't get it that things need to change. So Jesus being the great teacher that he is, brings them parables, figures out ways to bypass those mental blocks and to get into their minds and help them understand this represents something that you need to focus on and that's going to be important to you. Then at the end of the Bible, we have Revelation with some of the most powerful concepts of heaven that are truly hard to understand, but it's abstracted enough that we're able to get a little bit of an idea um, of God's will for us for eternity and of the ways that it's going to be different. And just another reminder of his power and the depth of his uh, omnipotence and being above us. Another concept that I see throughout the Bible is brand awareness. Another thing that we work on in design is making sure that you're perceived as what you want to be perceived. That people know your company. I mentioned earlier, you know, you see golden arches and you know exactly what you're going to get there. You see, you know, penguins and polar bears late in the year. It has nothing to do with the actual product, but you know that you're going to be feeling a little bit thirsty. You're going to want a Coca-Cola. That's just the way that brand awareness is able to permeate through our culture and get into our minds. What do we have as far as brand awareness in the church today? And this is where it gets a little bit rough to think about. I can throw out all kinds of scare statistics as far as people falling away after a certain age um, and the median age or whatever of the Church of Christ getting older and older as we start to lose younger people and lose our influence on culture. But the thing is, it's never been trendy. It's never been the normal for people out in the world. And I think a lot of time we get caught up in kind of looking down at the quote-unquote good old days of the church and thinking that we're on a different slope than we're on. We already know what we have to do. We already know that people in the world see us differently than we would like them to. That the image of Christians, as we're told, is going to be that people will hate us, that we'll be persecuted, and that there will be trials just for standing up for the word. People perceive us without understanding what we're truly about. 
a lot of that has to do with denominations and, and people outside of this group straying away from God's will for salvation, for the way that we treat people, for the way that we worship according to the scripture. And what that does is that skews their perception of us. There's nothing we can do about it because, again, we're told that this is going to happen. So what, we, what can we do to combat those false stereotypes, that bad publicity, so that we can reach people? Do we change the product? We see that a lot where people that call themselves members of the church, where they call their group Church of Christ, and they start introducing things that are not mandated by the scriptures, that we're not commanded to do, and they start messing with the power structure and the worship uh, process. And at the end of the day, they're selling something that has no foundation. From an early age, we're telling our little kids about the wise man and the foolish man and building on the rock. Such a simple message but something that we need to focus on all the time because that product shouldn't change. And that product that we're trying to put out there into the world doesn't need to be tailored to what people want. Some of y'all who are older might have witnessed this firsthand, but when Coca-Cola introduced New Coke, it wasn't the same thing. And it didn't last. People wanted the, new, the regular stuff. People wanted what they loved and what they had built memories on. We don't need to change the product. We don't need to change what we do and what the message that we're trying to bring to people. What we do need to do is change the way that we push it out there. There's this concept of a rebrand in design and in marketing where a company will change not only their logo, not only the way that they promote stuff on the first tier, but they'll go through and they'll change the colors on their website. They'll change the fonts they use in every document. They'll change their slogans and the language that they use. Again, not because they're changing the product, but because we have these worldly connotations that we kind of get in a track of assuming this is going to be this way because this is how it's always been. And what more and more companies are catching on to now is that younger people are sold on an experience. And I think that's where we, as a, as a body, kind of tends to have a little bit of uh, motivational derailing. I think going back to Acts uh, 17, where we're told that the Bereans, they're the examples that we need. They're searching the scriptures every day to make sure that what they have heard was true. And they're building their lives and their experiences around that. The way that companies are reaching younger people now 
as they're selling the experience. A few years ago, I guess a couple decades, UPS and FedEx delivering the same product. But UPS said, we're going to be personal. We're going to help y'all have a personal experience to where you know this stuff is coming right to your door and it's about you. It's not about our customer base at large. It's about you. That transformation into something personal involves changing the way that we interact with people throughout our week, throughout our everyday life. In Romans 12, where we're, it says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed into something new, something different. To promote that same exact truth. In Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, we're told to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We sing a song They'll know we're Christians by our love. And is that the message that we're promoting? Not as fun to think about when you analyze that, but it's what we should be motivated to do, is to always be a little bit different, selling that different experience to where people see us and they see happy families and they see people that, even though they're struggling with stuff every single day of their lives, they're going out of their way to be a better person and to try to help other people be better around them. That's something that I think Graber Road does very, very well. When we have visitors here, they get swarmed and they get immediately that different experience. And it doesn't end there because after they're out that door, they're getting calls from other members and they're getting visits from the elders and they're getting invited back to stuff. And that's exactly what we need to do. Because this is a personal message. As imperfect as we are, this perfect truth has to be shared with us. Going back to Colossians 3. What does that rebrand look like? Starting in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts." to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Again, as I said earlier, I feel like people kind of tend to view Christians as out to get them. They think that we're just going to call them out on whatever sin, whatever bad path they're walking down, and that can be true. I think sometimes we are very quick to say what we see. And that's not to say that we should ignore the people around us who are walking astray. That's not to say that we shouldn't be recognizing those sins. But you notice earlier 
in Colossians, where it says, let our speech be with grace seasoned with salt. It doesn't say pour salt all over them. Speech with grace. Anytime we're correcting somebody, our motive, what should our motivation be? Are we trying to prove that we're right? Are we trying to prove that we're like that Pharisee saying, thank you for letting me not be like this tax collector who's so imperfect? Or should we be helping them? Should we be going out of our way to see people who don't seem like they have a direction in life and help them find that direction that we're given and help them find that outlet and that connection to something that lasts, to that perfect product and that perfect lifestyle that we're given. I say that because that's something that I struggle with. And it's not always intentional. I can come across as being negative or impatient. And that's something that I have to work on every day, that I think we all have to work on every day, is promoting that message through minor interactions, through the choices that we make, through the places that we are, for the time that we spend on people. At the end of Matthew 5, during the Sermon on the Mount, verse 47, or excuse me, verse 48, Jesus talks about changing their behavior and then says, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the book of James talks about how incomplete we are and how we need that perfection to guide us and that perfection to give us something to work towards. Are we producing bad fruit? Are we producing a message that doesn't align with the product? Again, not something fun to think about, but something that we need to be focused on and that we need to be rebranded as something that accurately portrays God's love for us and his unending forgiveness and the depths to which he'll go to provide for us that perfect eternal life someday. He did everything. He sent his son down to live a hard life, get tortured, and die a brutal death on the cross. And that whole time promoting a message of patience and to extending a hand of love to all of us throughout time, that perfect image that represents the love of God. If we don't look like that image right now, and we never truly can, but if we're not modeling ourselves after that, what are we doing? You 
You see sometimes guys out there on the side of the road holding up a sign to advertise for whatever business, and they're spinning it, they're doing tricks, and they're tossing it up in the air. You can't see what the sign actually says. And they're putting out all that effort to advertise for something. But you don't know where it is. You don't know how to follow them. All you can see is that they're just out there sweating. If we're putting out effort and it's misguided, if we're not being wise about how we go about our lives, modeling ourselves after that image, this is the perfect group to get right with. We have elders here that will develop that personal relationship, that will pray with you, that will pat you on the back and let you know that they care about you and that we all care about you. This is the perfect place to try to look more like that image of God. And if we don't look anything like that at all, how can we have access to that perfection? We can't. Again, we have an eldership here that'll give access, that'll help us to find that access to that. We have people that can study and show that path to salvation. If that's something that you need, think about that. We have an opportunity in just a second to take advantage of. And if not, keep that in mind. Keep that concept of perfection that we can only attain through submission to God in your mind. Appreciate y'all's attention. I think uh, Roger has a song in just a second. Let's try to be that perfect image as close to it as we can. If you have need of prayers, if you have need of any kind of help, won't you come now as we stand and sing?